Oh dear. My face has been numb for most of the day. Oh. Oh, oh dear. That's no joke. I actually had another root canal today. That happened. And I'm pumping Advil because I refused the Vicodin prescription. No thanks. I'm good. But I'll get to that later. I'll get to all of my ailments later. You can be sure I will let you know about my health concerns. I think that's an agreement on this podcast. You tune in, I complain about something happening with my body, and then we all move on with our lives. Maybe it's relatable. Maybe it just sounds foolish. Either way, it's part of our little dynamic. But let's get weird. I was thinking about some really weird shit. So weird that I had to ask myself, did that really happen? I'm teaching the Russian Revolution today to a bunch of sophomores. I'm teaching about the rise of Lenin and the Bolsheviks. And as I'm talking about the Bolsheviks and then the Bolsheviks and then the Red Army and the Bolsheviks, I just stopped and I said, and I'd like you to know that the Bolsheviks were also a WWF tag team in the late 80s when I was really into wrestling. And it was a very early form of propaganda that I didn't even understand towards the end of the Cold War. This was a professional wrestling organization, so racist, now that I look back on it, presenting the American fans with the opportunity to boo the Russian tag team, the Bolsheviks. So I googled it, right there with all of my students. And then I even showed them a clip. This is world history with Mr. Rosenberg. All right, folks, so then Lenin and the Bolsheviks, and now it's time to talk WWF, and Nikolai and Boris were always booed. Nikolai and Boris, as I googled it, the Wikipedia page says Boris was actually an American guy named Jim Harrell, not a Russian. And Nikolai was actually a Croatian. So these guys were not Russian. They were characters. And they were out there to get booed. And they would always steal the microphone from the ring announcer and attempt to sing the Russian national anthem. And now that I look back, that probably wasn't really the national anthem. But they showed footage of the crowd. And there's little kids with their thumbs down screaming. Boo! Fuck you, Bolsheviks! Get out of here! Nobody likes you, Bolsheviks! We disagree with your communist policies. And then out come the rockers and just beat the shit out of them. And that was wrestling in the late 80s. And this is my introduction to other cultures. Hey, nine-year-old Josh, do you know anything about Japan? Sure! I know about Tanaka and Sato of the Orient Express, led by their respectable manager, Mr. Fuji. No, no, that actually has nothing to do with Japan or Japanese culture. But the Bolsheviks, as I'm showing my students this, it was like the perfect opportunity to talk about propaganda. And this wasn't subtle. Hey, we hate the Russians. They're the bad guys in all of our movies. And here's Nikolai and Boris to get the shit kicked out of them. And then I went down that rabbit hole. We all do it. We all do it online. You start thinking, hey, what else do I remember? about the early days of WWF when I was a super fan. It only lasted for a few years, but I had a memory of a giant wrestler, a giant white guy who became Akeem the African Dream. I'm going to pause right now. Do you remember this? So I also Googled this, which may be the most ridiculous character ever created in an organization that created a lot of ridiculousness. Ridiculousness. So I remember this vividly, but the Wikipedia page verified everything that I thought of today. The actual wrestler was named George Gray. When he started in the WWF, stay with me, he went by the one-man gang. That's what they called him. And then 
things got silly with the one-man gang. Oh, I mean really silly. They changed his whole character to become Akeem the African Dream because they claimed, and I'm just going to read this straight from Wikipedia, they claimed that he planned to re-embrace his roots in Africa. This is a big white guy. Actually, let me clarify. This was a big fat white guy. No muscle definition. Just like six foot eight, fat, big beard. And they dressed him up in blue tights and put an African hat on him and called him Akeem the African Dream from the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. Then, in the introduction, this is live on television, WWF. They showed him surrounded with dancers, African dancers. And then when the dance is over, Akeem starts to speak in a, quote, extremely stereotypical jive black accent. Then he danced in the style of Dusty Rhodes while an African ritual took place in the background. Akeem and the Big Boss Man captained a team that featured the Million Dollar Man, the Red Rooster, and Haku at the Survivor Series in 1988. This is what I fucking remember. And they were managed by the incomparable Slick. You know what else I remember? The music that Akeem would come down the aisle to was phenomenal. I'm going to play a little bit right now. Sadly, the music was great. And then they would give him the first minute of the match to just dance in the middle of the ring. Keep in mind, none of this had to do with Africa. Keep in mind, I'm about eight years old and this might be all I know about Africa at the time. All right, I wish I was kidding, but this is Akeem's entrance music. That's probably a rape tale right there. What the hell was that about? You can find this on YouTube, by the way. If you think I'm making this up, just look up Akeem the African Dream. What were they thinking? The writers of WWF said, you know what? One man gang, mm -mm, it's not doing it. We need to teach kids like Josh Rosenberg in the suburbs about rich African history. Let's have him speak in a really rugged jive black accent. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm reading this. To verify all of these bizarre memories that are still dancing around this dome. Yeah, this was propaganda. They had so many demeaning motifs and stereotypes for so many other cultures and nationalities and ethnicities. And then who was on top? I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Are you a Hulkamaniac? And the Hulkster was a god to me. It all worked. I mean, luckily I became what I hope is a free thinker. But at the time I was like, yes, that is the American savior, the heavyweight champ with the 24 inch pythons. And we need him to win this match because he's American and we bleed red, white, and blue. And I'm a Hulkamaniac. And one day I want to have stringy yellow hair and a yellow Speedo and high yellow boots and rip off my tank top. 
All right, enough of that bullshit, but the students at Novato High today learned about the Bolsheviks, and isn't that what matters? And then, yes, they learned about the rise of Stalin. Don't worry, I got back on track. I always do, right? I mean, kind of. I always do get back on track, maybe. All right, so yeah, I had my second root canal of the month. I wish I were kidding. Cracked tooth above, and if you're keeping score at home, tooth number 13, root canal with a permanent crown, and tooth number 18 on the bottom. If you're keeping score at home, that's 18 on the bottom, like a big old tree with big old roots, all damaged, cracked teeth. Why couldn't they identify this three months ago when my journey began? I've been to the dentist, I'm not exaggerating, 10 times in the last three months, and I always leave with pain, and then I call and I say, should I have pain? And they go, no, you shouldn't have pain. You should come back in. And then I come back in and they discover something new. So the most recent was they had to take off a filling to see a tooth. And as the dentist, my hand to God, this is the truth. As the dentist takes off the filling, I hear him say, damn, dude, this is a professional dentist. I'm not making that up. He said, damn, dude, it was the type of crack like a cartoon frozen pond is about to break open. Cartoon frozen lake. Okay. Picture figure skating cartoon figure skating and then the person's about to fall through picture that cartoon image lightning bolt shaped crack that's my tooth it led to a professional dentist saying damn dude and then he showed me with his camera and he said yeah uh gave me one of those big exhales uh yeah that'll probably need a root canal so i had it right now i'm speaking with a shaved tooth yeah do you hear it One of those back teeth. It's short. It's hobo short. Not hobo chic. That's a different look. It's hobo short in the back. Brilliant endodontist today. But there's actually an obscure reason I'm bringing all of this up. And it's because something happened today. Something happened today. And I knew it was going to happen. I even think I brought this up on a previous show. All of the many places we go now in society where they take our temperature with a little click, click. They just hold that toy up to our forehead. All the places, no matter where you go, click, click, restaurant, barbershop, school, some stores, just, hey, before you come in, and then they just let you in, right? Well, at the dentist's office today, they had me lean my forehead in. She did the click, click, and guess what? A hundred. And she looked at me and said, you feeling okay? And I said, yeah, I'm feeling fine. She said, huh, you seem to have a fever. Eh, that's okay. Come on in. That was the extent of the conversation. She really battled COVID hard today. Very sweet receptionist. It's not her fault. What's she going to do? Send me away? They never trained her for that. They just trained her for the click, click, and then say, come in. And she actually looked at it and went, huh, 100. You okay? And she became a doctor. And when I said, yeah, that was the end of her deep investigation into my symptoms. And then I was allowed to get a root canal, and no one ever knew that I had fever symptoms. Hey, maybe I have a fever right now. That's fine. It'll lead to a better podcast. When people have fevers, that's when some weird shit goes down. I think my daughter has a fever right now, to be honest. We just put her down with a little children's Advil, grape flavored. I said, get a good night's sleep. In the morning, you'll feel better. And she actually said, I want to still be sick. I said, what? Why? And she said, because that medicine tastes so damn good. And it does. It smelled great. Smelled like nerds or fun dip. Just smelled like old bubblegum, grape bubblegum, grape soda, grape anything. Fake grape anything is so amazing. It's so far from grapes. 
It's amazing they even say grape on the package. They should just say purple flavored. But grapes, think of what a grape tastes like. And then think of grape flavored candy. It's just two different. Am I just saying the same shit I said in episode 18 through 30? Are these reruns at this point? I feel like I've said that before. The artificial flavors that our candies tell us they are. Cherry. No, you're not. Orange. No, you're not. What is this, an old script? I got to talk to my producer. Hey, we're doing an old episode, okay? I got to get back on track from my root canal. Oh, you thought I was done with the ailments? No, no. After a year of Zoom, I realized my ears are fucked. Everything makes my ears throb. If I'm talking on speakerphone, talking on the phone, listening to music, sometimes the sound out of a TV makes my ears throb, and I'm learning to live with it. Isn't that what we do at this age? Isn't that what we do at this age? We just eh, learn to live with it. But Zoom is what kills it. For some reason, all of my students in my screen, whenever they speak, it's just like piercing into my eardrum. So I made an appointment with an audiologist, my first ever. Great guy, Dr. Midori. That's M-A-D-O-R-Y. If you're keeping score at home, Dr. Midori, he brings me into a soundproof studio and then he puts that little clicker in my hand and then he leaves the room and we all know what to do. When you hear the sound, press it. Press. Press. I think we all realize something. It's easy to cheat. Just keep pressing it. I mean, I didn't want to cheat, but don't you get into the rhythm of, eh, that was probably a sound there. You're just pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. What is he monitoring at that point? Seems a little antiquated that we're still having people press when they think they heard something. Eh, I don't know. And then he shoves something in my ear. And then he had me repeat words. He would say like, castle. And I would go, castle. And he would say, rainbow. And I'd say, rainbow. And he would say, testicles. And I would say, really? Testicles? And he gave me a wink and said, hey, just having fun. It's Friday. Okay, testicles. I guess audiologists have fun on Fridays. But then he sat me down for the post-appointment assessment. And he basically said, yeah, you have some hearing loss, but you should be fine because you're going to be returning to the classroom and you'll be off Zoom. And I said, oh, does that mean it's all going to heal? And he said, no, no. Nope. There's no regenerative technology yet. But he did say, we're working on it. I just went, thank you. Thanks for working on that. Maybe in my lifetime. But as of right now, no, just going to have some hearing loss. And he described it perfectly. But he described it for so long and he kept putting his three fingers up and saying things that I thought I was following. And then it reached a point where I was like, where's my wife? I need my wife with her listening skills to be sitting here so I can remember any of this. He'd say things like, you know, Josh, your cochlea, uh, what's happening right now is a little compression. And we're just noticing that as some of the cells are standing up, you'll see the incus the malleus, and it's kind of just going through the canal, but what's happening through the eustachian tube is it's just cells, you know, and that's, that's the liquid. So it's just, it's just the cells. And, you know, sometimes when it gets compressed and these are the nerves and these are the nerves. So your cartilage, Josh, I mean, you see, he kept putting up three fingers and right here, these are the cells and your vestibular system, you know, it's going to be a little shaky, of course, and you get the zoom and you get the levels. And so your auditory sensor is just going to be malleus with the eustachian and tube, and then cells, Josh, and I'm just nodding my fucking ass off at this point. I'm nodding to an extent that I don't even think I've ever nodded before. This was performance nodding. 
This was Oscar-worthy nodding. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, temporal, you know, repeat every eighth word. Cochlea, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I left there thinking, what? What, did I just become 80 years old? There's no cure for this. And then I had the realization. I even talked to him about this. I worked in radio for 12 years. The amount of radio hosts who just turn up the volume max on the headphones to do their shows, it's alarming. These people are damaged. Radio hosts, damaged. Their ears are just pudding in there. You look past the canal and you just see pudding. And I got to get away from earbuds as well. And I probably have to get away from this topic. But Louis C.K. had a bit. And Louis C.K., we can still quote some of his bits, right? He said he had a sore knee. He went into the doctor and the doctor just said, yeah, you're in your 40s. You're going to have a sore knee. There's not a cure to everything. I almost have such an appreciation for modern medicine and these great doctors. And this guy was a great doctor, but sometimes they just tell you, no, when you leave this office, I'm not prescribing you anything. I don't even have much advice. You're just going to leave this office and drive home and hope to tell your wife some things you learned and you'll probably struggle with that. That's it. I just move on with my life now with a little less hearing. I'm the type of person, though, if I go into a restaurant, I have to scout the table that's going to be the least annoying, the least irritating table I'm that guy. Here's how awful I am. If my wife's having a bowl of cereal, the crunching is too much. Can't handle it. That's a battle I should never address. Students, if they take out a granola bar, the wrapper, when they take it off, I almost just want to stop teaching. And I emphasize, you're allowed to eat. You know, have a little snack. Keep that blood sugar up. This is not prison. You do you. Whatever makes you comfortable to learn. Just no crumbs and no littering. But if you want to have a granola bar or an apple, fine. And it always backfires. Because I'm just distracted by the sounds of people eating. It's so gross, isn't it? The sounds of people eating. Am I alone on that? Although I like eating with people. I do. And you should know that. All right, let me give you the definition of the word anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. That's anxiety. Okay, that's just a very academic definition. Now, let me define my anxiety. I don't think it's debilitating, but this is the perfect reference to how deep it runs. About five months ago, five months ago, we're going on an evening walk. Daughter in the stroller, husband and wife. Hey, hey, is that a Norman Rockwell painting I'm looking at? Just a husband and a wife. And a little kid in a stroller. And as we come home after that walk, we all tap our pockets and we realize, okay, we don't have keys. We're locked out of our house. No door is open. No window is open. We're officially locked out. Luckily, my mom lives close by. Called her. She came over with a spare key. Okay. Well, two weeks ago, she came over with a fake rock, a hide-a-key rock. And she said, here, put this in your yard with a spare key so that never happens again. Okay, thanks. And I said, thanks. And then the next day, I found myself trying to put a key in a fake rock and then looking all over my backyard for a place, a hidden spot that nobody would ever suspect. Nobody, no burglar would ever look at this fake rock and think, there it is, it's go time. But as I'm doing this, I got as close as to putting the key in the rock and then finding a little spot under a bush and I couldn't. I held onto the rock. My hand wouldn't release the fake hide-a-key rock because I was literally picturing a killer, not just a burglar, but a killer coming around the back fence, spending the seven and a half hours that I sleep, sometimes seven, sometimes eight, spending 
all of this time that I'm just laying down unconscious on a mattress, searching. And this killer burglar, this criminal, touches every rock throughout the night until they get the right one. And then bingo, they come in with the key and they stab me in the neck with the key. And that's how I die? I'm actually not making a joke right now. I had all of those thoughts. So no, there's going to be no hide a key. Just having a key outside of my home? Sorry. Goes against my sensibilities. It's a no. Hey mom, we're going to keep calling you when we lock ourselves out. I'd rather lock myself out for hours than have a key in a fake rock outside as I sleep. Come on. You know a killer would find that rock. You know it would happen. Or of course you know it wouldn't and that's the irrational thought that I have. Now you, what's your version of your strangest anxiety that comes to the surface and you know deep down it's crazy, but hey, we're all fucking crazy. We don't have to hide that anymore. It's going to connect us all. We're all crazy. We're not built for this society around us. Our instincts, our medieval primal instincts trying to live in this industrialized world. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't align. So the anxiety spikes are all around us. The spikes are all around us. You hear a lot of people have anxiety about technology. Our phones are listening to us, bro. You know, our phones are listening to us. And for years I said, ah, shut the fuck up person with that voice but the truth is uh, they are they are a few days ago one of my coworkers came into my classroom with a guitar he starts playing he just started playing the guitar and i'm watching him asking how he's learning is it youtube videos is he learning to read tab and he gave me the guitar and i start playing a little bit and it's a fun moment hey we're back on campus passing the guitar back and forth he lights up a joint i take a hit no i'm just kidding none of that happened but the guitar was a legitimate, I'd say, seven-minute conversation. And then he leaves. He leaves. I look at my phone and all the pop-up ads. It's like a sweatshirt that says, Guitar Guy. And then another pop-up banner ad that says, Guitar Lessons. And then just endless ads for guitars. And I'm thinking, this is not a coincidence. And I Googled it. Are our phones listening to us? And the answer is just so clearly, yes. You idiot, of course your phone's listening to you. Of course, these marketing firms that have you click I accept without reading any of the terms of agreement. No one's reading the terms of agreement. We're all just clicking. Okay, okay, uh, okay, I accept. So yeah, listen to me. Who gives a shit? That's not any anxiety I have that our phones are listening to us, that our TV is listening to us. I get it. There's just too much technology in my life. It's probably all listening to me. That's fine. That's too rational. That type of anxiety, that's rational. My shit is ear-ational. I'm going to ask you something right now. And I actually want you to just say it out loud, wherever you are. There was a study recently that measured how many thoughts humans have per day. Single thoughts. I'm going to give you a moment to answer. Go ahead. How many thoughts do humans have per day? Okay, are you ready for the answer? I would have guessed maybe 300, 350. Welp, the new research is out. And this statistic comes from a team of psychology experts at Queen's University in Canada who are claiming that the average human has 6,000 thoughts per day. I'll say that figure again, 6,000 thoughts per day. What are we doing to ourselves? We're overheating our engines. That's what we're doing. Now, this psychology research team, they figured out a way to detect when one thought begins and one thought ends and another begins and another ends and another begins and another ends. And they call it thought worms, 6,000 per day. That's when the brain occupies a different point in a state space at every moment. 6,000? We are all in our own heads to that extent. 
And I guess people have been studying this for a long time. This is cognitive neuroscience that goes back over a decade, attempting to find what a person is thinking about and comparing this activity to our known brain patterns. It brings up a couple of points. Number one, I don't think we're in control of our thoughts. I don't. I think from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, I don't think we're saying it. Right now, I would like to think about the Warriors. Right now, I would like to think about this annoying coworker. Right now, I would like to think about going on a run later. I think it's just all coming at us. We're not in control. It's just one after another after another. That figure almost makes me nervous because you think about it like right when you wake up, what's the thought? What time is it, right? We all look at the clock. None of us ever know, right? It's always like a game show. What time do you think it is? I have no fucking clue. Hey, 6.05. I never have a clue, by the way. When I wake up in the middle of the night, could be 1.45 a.m. or 5.18 a.m. I never have a hunch. That's your first thought. And then that'll lead to another thought. Uh Uh-oh. Am I going to get enough sleep? And then that'll lead to another thought. Is my wife sleeping? Is the baby sleeping? I still call her a baby. She's three and a half. Is the kid sleeping? Then you start to calculate how many hours did I get? Still lying there in bed. Okay, what am I doing today? Got to make coffee. What am I eating today? Okay, got to pack the bag. And it just starts. We just are in motion with the onslaught of thoughts. In the first 10 minutes of the day, there's probably 100 thoughts. Okay, low on toothpaste. Got to put on sunblock. Got to put on my wedding ring. Wash my face. Okay, use the bathroom. Okay, and that'll create way more thoughts. Bathroom time? And that'll definitely launch into some more thoughts. This isn't even personal interactions. I think it's just what's flying through our heads. 6,000? You know when it's most evident? When you meditate. If you ever try to meditate, all you're trying to do is focus on your breathing. No one can really do this. I mean, Buddhist monks are pretty good, but if you just try for two minutes, two minutes to clear your head. I mean, I try 10 a day. Good luck. There are times where I don't hear. I do a guided meditation with the Calm app. There are times where I don't even hear the lady's voice because I'm that in my head. And I have to give myself credit for setting the time. At least I set the time aside for meditation. But are we really calling that meditation when I just have thoughts for 10 minutes? And it didn't have any delineation from the rest of the day. No, if I could, let's say out of 10 minutes, focus for three minutes of breathing, that is a feat. And if I didn't do that, I would never focus on one of my breaths. Never. Humans live our lives without focusing on just the moment. And if we do, what does it last? If we can actually get ourselves to just this moment, this moment right here, right here, right now. What, that'll last for uh, 11, 12 seconds? Before, okay. For me, I just tried. I actually just tried to be here, present on the podcast. And I immediately looked to my left. And I have a Richard Pryor poster on the wall. And I just had a Richard Pryor thought. Just how much I love him. I just felt love towards Rich. That's what just happened. And I wasn't even trying to do that. But we all look up. There's just too much shit surrounding us. There's too much stuff. And now we go to our phones because we can't be alone and we can't be with others. Have you noticed that? We can't be alone if you're in line, any line. You go straight to your phone, don't you? Don't you? And when you're with others, you're tempted, aren't you? You sick fuck. You sick. Ugh, look at you. Look at you. I'm holding up a mirror to you. (laughs) Vincent Price, Thriller. The greatest music video ever? Probably. Actually, of course. Of course. All right, let's go rapid fire. 
Let's wrap this shit up. Have you ever noticed that brushing teeth is an energizing activity that wakes you up? If you're on the couch and you're fading, you know that wonderful moment where you're fading on the couch? You're like fighting your eyelids and it's a nice moment because you're comfortable. You feel good. You reflect on the day and you're comfortable. Well, my wife and I now say to each other, can you just lift me up and bring me to bed and brush my teeth for me and then read to me? And we're actually not kidding. Like if my wife could lift me up, bring me to bed, brush my teeth for me in the dark, and then read two and a half pages of whatever book I'm reading to me, that sounds like the most heavenly departure from the day. But instead, we all get up and brushing teeth, something about the water, turning the lights on, fuck, now I'm up again. Now I'm up again. And I don't want to be a lazy couch sleeper. I don't want to start off the first two hours on the couch. But have you noticed that? You wake up to take your ass to sleep. You're no longer tired anymore. Why is teeth brushing so energizing? Did that one land? Was that the weak point of the podcast? All right, how about this one? Old white men wearing masks? Have you ever seen this? You ever seen old white men during this pandemic? Just nose out, right? Or maybe even just on the chin, just mouth and nose out. So watching March Madness. They have all the coaches, families, players, families in the crowd. Anytime it's an old white fellow watching sports, mask is not properly on. Sometimes just hanging off an ear, like a big earring. There has to be one big lesson, one big seminar for old white men. It'll take two minutes. Here's how to wear a mask. Why do they struggle so much? I've never seen an old white man properly wearing a mask. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. Uh, is it time to say goodbye? Is it time to wrap up this shit? Time to say farewell to episode 134. All right, how are we going to say farewell? I'll tell you how we're going to say farewell. Let me tell you about my brother. Now, I could say in-law. I could say in-law, but that sounds very rigid. My brother-in-law. I'll just call him my brother. My wife's brother. I'll adopt him. He's now my brother. He's a pretty good guitarist. He's a pretty good guitarist. And I even think he's a pretty good singer. And he recently sent me his own cover of Lido. Ho, ho, ha, ho, ho. And I'm not even sure if he would want me playing that here on a podcast. But I also know that I'm not going to ask him. I'm just going to do it. Who knows if he'll listen. Maybe he'll catch this. But we're going out with Lido. Sella's cover of Lido. And then you know this episode will fully be locked away in the books. And then of course, I'll talk to you soon. Lido missed the boat that day. He left the shack. But that all he missed and he ain't coming back to the stone bar